Welcome to the SAME Real-Time Podcast, featuring an inside look across the Society of American Military Engineers and the work that our 30,000 members and 105 posts are doing to support national security and strengthen the engineering potential of the United States. And now, your host, SAME Executive Director, Joe Schrodel. All right. So, hey, good morning, Blair. Glad to glad you've joined us here on our SME podcast. And uh, you know, you're over in is it Qatar or Qatar? Everybody gets confused on that. So let's start by making sure we know where you are. Doha, Qatar. Qatar. In Qatar. All right. So how's the weather over there these days? Well, it's starting to get warmer. Our uh, our best season is actually winter here. Ironically, after you've been here a while, when it feels like it's uh, 80 degrees, 85 degrees, it's still too cold to go in the pool. Whereas back in the U.S., I'm from Florida, I live in Florida now, and 85 degrees, we'd be hopping in the water. Not so much here, but the weather will get hot. It'll get up in the 140-degree temperature range this summer, and then the pools have chillers, which makes it a little more uh, bearable. Holy smokes. Well, look, really appreciate the work that you've been doing heading up the International Committee. So we wanted to talk for a few minutes today a little bit about SAME's efforts overseas. So how about, let's start the conversation with, you know, your thoughts on the role of the International Committee as you see it today. Well, that's a, that's a great lead in and a great opportunity to get the elevator speech on what we do. The International Committee's been around for a while and it has three pillars or goals depending how you want to frame them. But our first goal is to be an overseas virtual post when an actual post is not available. So when a service member or an, an expat is working overseas and they don't have a local post to attend, we want to keep them active, keep them um, attending meetings, stay attuned with uh, SAME um, in the virtual world, and then when they return to the continental United States and have a local post to reactivate with or to, to start going to real meetings again, they stay connected. And we haven't lost a member, and the member you have not lost your, your society of choice. The second goal that we have is to support the overseas posts and chapters. We work with the regional vice presidents as a link to the national headquarters to assist those overseas posts, but also we have numerous chapters, field chapters that are now being stood up, two in particular, one in Qatar and one in Bahrain. To keep those deployed service members who want a little more than a virtual meeting, they want to actually come together and uh, we have sustaining members that are overseas that are supporting those efforts. The third thing we do, our third pillar or goal, is to support the geographic combatant commands with military engineering improvements and solutions to uh, challenging situations and problems. So that is the actual military engineering portion of it, and the overseas geographic combatant commands can certainly use some assistance. We've got a lot of expertise overseas to help them. So those are our three goals and pillars. Overseas virtual posts, support the overseas actual posts, and chapters and to support the geographic combatants. Yeah, you know, that's that's more than a mouthful, I'll tell you. And we'll talk a little bit in a minute about engineering capabilities workshop that you and I were just at in Germany. But talk a little bit first about the unique challenges that you see that our international post that our international folks are having. For example, you know, I remember being in Germany three times in my military career and having three hundred thousand military and lots of resources, and yet today it seems to be very different. What are you seeing in terms of the challenges that our forces are having overseas? 
think our real challenge is that we're we're shrinking and we're asking our service members, our engineers in particular, across all the uh, service components to, uh, it, it seems very corny to say do more with less, but that's what we're asking them to do. We're asking them to be experts across the board on numerous things, yet they don't have the experience in some cases or certainly do not have the capacity to, to do all that. So that's one of the bigger challenges that I think we see is how do we get all those experiences? Or when, when these folks do gain those experiences, especially in the joint community, then they leave and they go on and do something else. So before, I think we were much more focused on a singular mission. And as you pointed out, Germany, we were focused on the wall. Today, we're focused globally. And just because you're a UCOM or Africa Command or even PACOM, you're looking across those entire geographic boundaries and sometimes across those boundaries. That's a great point. So it would seem it would seem to me then that the role of our sustaining members and in, in helping to bridge those gaps and to help add that capacity that, as you pointed out, trying to do more with our forces trying to do more with less, you know, one of the ways that it would seem to me that we might be able to help make up for that capacity is is through our sustaining members. What what are you seeing in terms of the role of sustaining members? Has it increased? Is it something that, that we need to tell more sustaining members about, or, or what? What do you think? Well, that, that is a great question. So we have been trying to work that harder, and I think the Capabilities Workshop we just had in Europe was a great example, where we, we really reached out to Africa Command and to UCOM and said, what are those challenges you'd really like to hear more about from our sustaining members? The other thing that I, that I think comes up in these conversations is that we're not reinventing the wheel, or we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. There are a lot of the problems that we have today have existed for a very long time. A case in point, the rail gauges. When we start using railroad assets to move things around the, uh, the AOR, uh, you start crossing into different countries or different regions, and the gauge changing. How do we deal with that? And that's actually a universal problem. We heard that in Korea. There's challenges there with that. There's challenges in Europe, Africa. Uh, it's, it's, I won't say a universal problem, but it's certainly a cross-geographic boundary problem. And it's been there forever. And there's experts out there that know how to deal with this. And so if we can help the combatant commands not relook problems or challenges that have either already existed and, and been solutions have been found before and just found a way in a file cabinet, or we can come up with a universal solution um, that's out there commercially that will help them, I think that's the place we need to look. I really, I really do like the, the the revisit ideas because having been a combatant command engineer in multiple combatant commands, it was always interesting to me to open up the file cabinets and find out that the problems from ten years ago are the same challenges we're facing today, and just packaged differently. So if we can find those solutions from before, we'll save a lot of time and energy and resources. No, that's great. You know, you mentioned the engineer capabilities workshop, and I guess. Yeah, just an extension of, of your thought. What was your take on, on what we attempted to do there? Do you think in some way we've, we've at least begun the thinking to bring the, the power, if you will, of sustaining members, the power of looking at other solutions that were attempted in the past, as you just mentioned, which is a great point. Do you think we've at least started the dialogue and the direction in a way that, that we might actually make a difference and help our combatant command engineers with the way we ran that, that capabilities workshop. What are your thoughts? I think so, and actually that leads me to a, a slightly different thought, so I'll answer 
answer your question first and take it a little further. Okay. Is um, I think the answer is yes because we bought speakers with expertise at the specific request of UCOM and AFRICOM. So when they presented challenges, we brought we linked up the right speaker and the right sustaining member to offer their expertise and potential solutions to their challenges. So I think we really did start that, and, and that should grow as. As the combatant command saw that we did that, they'll ask harder or more questions next time. But the other piece of it that's kind of interesting is we've, we've morphed from a, uh, the Society of American Military Engineers has really morphed from a club to a, a society of choice, a professional society. And, and what is a professional society? It's a place where professionals come together to, to share their, their experiences and to grow together. At the individual level, that's really easy to explain, but I've not often heard it talked about from a sustaining member level. And our sustaining members, you know, let's let's be clear, they're they're in the business of, of they're in business, they're in business to, to make money, and they do want to understand what's going on with the with the military and how they can fill those gaps and, and help the military, and, and they want to be compensated for it. But I think there's another piece of it for our sustaining members. It's it's per- corporate professionalism. And a corporate society of choice. Are you giving back, and are you are you taking? You're learning as a professional organization, as a, a professional company, a consultant. But are you also giving back? And so some of this to me is is giving back and sharing that knowledge. And that's how we, as a as a profession, will grow because we'll we'll have the the strength of numbers, the strength of all that expertise, that's the strength of all that those skills. So we will we will all get better together choice. Yeah, that's that's a great point, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because if we reflect a little bit on what we did at the Engineer Capabilities Workshop in Europe, you know, with a 150, you know, military, senior military, en- non-commissioned officers as well, engineers who are engaged throughout the AFRICOM and UCOM area of operations, along with, I guess we had somewhere around 100 to 150 industry folks. What was interesting to me is, and you made the point kind of subtly earlier, that we actually didn't have a bunch of business development folks in the industry. We had a bunch of experts and expertise that was there. What I observed as a result were some pretty healthy, vibrant conversations between industry and government. It gets right back to our industry-government engagement plan. And, And those discussions were leading to, at least what I saw, you know, some very specific well, wow, if we tried this or tried that, or have you looked here, looked there, you know, those kinds of easy discussions that lead to solving bigger challenges. And as you pointed out, either globally or locally, and getting across the boundaries is something that you're right, that is a big difference. So it it seems to me, and I never thought of it that way, you know, corporate professionalism, by engaging the right folks from the industry side with the folks who have the requirements, is really a key to success for, for our society. So I think that's a great point that you just made, and I think we're going to have to pick up on that in some other, some other venues here, either TME or whatever. How about Japan? What are you seeing over there in the, in the Pacific Command AOR? Well, Japan's got an interesting... If you look at not just Japan, but you look at, at the PACOM AOR in general, the whole Pacific Rim. Okay. Yeah, I can see a lot of potential, but I think that in the microcosm... We always talk about tyranny of distance, and the Pacific region always has the biggest challenge of tyranny of distance because you can't drive, you can't. It's even hard to fly. You need a boat to get places. It's just far. 
and it's hard to get to a lot of these places. But once you get there, there is amazing opportunity. I, Australia is a, a growing a growing opportunity for SAME as, as the U.S. military is putting more engineers there. They're working with our Australian partners in the military. There's look right now in the, in the Pacific of forming a, a field chapter in Australia. So you don't have to use the virtual International Committee monthly meeting. You can actually have a real meeting to go to either while you're deployed or in the pseudo-permanent party that they have there. But Japan also has the same problem. You mentioned Japan specifically. And their field chapters, which all fall under their posts, are almost posts under themselves. And the distance makes it challenging for leadership or members to attend meetings or events in the, in the, different, in the different cities. So there are almost multiple posts there. And then Korea is somewhat the same way because you have multiple, you almost have the ability to have multiple posts there because of the, the distances and the number of, of military engineers across all services that are there. So from an SAME perspective, I think that's our growth market. And that, and that growth market in terms of making us bigger, our growth market in terms of providing those, those services to our, our overseas and deployed and our, and our expat community. I didn't really say this before, but the, the International Committee, when we say we're a virtual post, we do offer monthly meetings that you can attend at the first Thursday of the month. We're typically at 12, 12.15 Eastern Standard Time, but we're looking at those folks in the Pacific right now and, and changing the timing of our, of our meetings or rebroadcasting our meetings so that they're, uh, they're much more globally centric and we can really reach, reach around the world with, with our meetings. One of the other things we also offer is a, a grant program. We administer a grant program on behalf of the Society of American Military Engineers, and that grant program is for inter, interpost and interregion collaboration, those overseas posts, and offer them help. One of the places we are looking right now is, is a grant for the, uh, in the Pacific for Japan so that their field chapters can be better better synchronized and coordinated with the, the Japan Post. So that's some place the International Committee can help. You know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask you about it. You know, one of the things that, that you and I have talked about and actually done something about is, is establishing this grant program. And as we work the finances at the national level, you know, we, we came to the conclusion that, wait a minute, if we've got Americans, and we're talking military, civilian, contractor, doesn't matter. If we've got Americans serving the national interests of our country by living overseas and working overseas, then, then we owe it to them to do something a little extra. And, and, and this is very unique. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, I'll tell you, I personally appreciate your leadership, Blair, in executing this program because it's a one-of-a-kind it's the only thing we've done like this with any of our committees, and for the reasons I just said, we all feel it's absolutely well worthwhile. And over time, you know, my personal intention is to try to grow that grant program to enable the national, the international committee to, to really fuel the, the needs that you see out there. So I appreciate your leadership and helping to make that a reality and, and making it work. Let me let me ask you this question, kind of in the same, this along the same lines. You know, part, part of the concept that we thought we would be fulfilling by paying a little extra special attention to our forward deployed, you know, American citizens, that the notion of sponsorship, you know, as we, 
work to serve, especially those in uniform and our contractor community and sustaining member community that are working overseas. You know, one of the things that, that we felt is important, and we're just beginning to find ways to do this, is, you know, as folks get ready to deploy from the continental United States to an international location, you know, the notion is that we do a little bit more to help sponsor them. And sponsorship, as you know, from your military career is a key part of the military culture anyway. So one of the things that we want to try to really get going much better is from post to post, informing a gaining post overseas to include the virtual post that you mentioned that you guys sponsor, but informing people of, hey, by the way, so-and-so is being reassigned from you know, Luke Air Force Base from wherever to, you know, Aviano. And then letting post-to-post communications help set the stage for being a part of the sponsorship program when those folks arrive. What do you think? Is that, does that have a lot of potential, you think? Of course it does. I mean, any, what is the, your society of choice is because you feel like you belong, you feel like you're part of something you've been taken care of. Yeah, we think to say what's in it for me, but I think at the end of the day, with all the competing activities and events and things that are to do with your both time and resources, what's in it for me? If if the society is taking care of that, they will take care of the society, and that's no different when you're deploying overseas. When you're deploying overseas, you go through a checklist with your military organization to make sure you're prepared for your deployment. But I'm not sure that our military members always take the time, or even think to take the time to prepare themselves and ask themselves the question, what do I want to get out of this deployment? I think for expats it's the same thing because a preponderance of our expats don't necessarily plan to stay overseas all their lives. What do I want to what do I want to do for myself to grow and get better? A lot of folks go to the gym and come back in great shape and that's a great a great thing to do. You know, others may learn a language, may try to see some of the culture. Those are all great too. But I would argue this is a great, also a great time to take a look at your professional development and go, if I set myself up for both my next my next jobs in the military or beyond the military. And, and I think that's where the international committee, the sponsorship program could help. If we know people were deploying or if the, even the home, the home post knew somebody was deploying for a short time, if they help them with a, with a coach, a mentor, someone that even just say, hey, do you want to get your PMP? Do you want to get your PE? Do you want to get your your CNA? Do you want to get your IFMA credentials? If there's any of these credentials you want to get, what a great time to spend doing some studying or potentially taking taking an exam. So I think the local chapters and posts can help them out with that as they're getting ready to deploy. And then the international committee can, can help them on the deployed part of it with that. And then when they return to their post or their next duty location, if they knew they were coming and handed off the baton, because as we all know, there's just so much going on. And having a coach or a cheerleader even just to help you stay focused on that goal is, means you're more, more likely to achieve it. You know, that's, that's great. Way, I can say, Go ahead. I'm going to correct something. It's not CMA. That, I think that's the Country Music Association, Certified Construction Manager, CCF. Right. You know, it, it's interesting, as I'm sitting here listening to, to your, you know, your thoughts about professional development as an expat, having been an expat myself for several years in South Africa, you know, one of the biggest challenges I had was finding the right kind of talent that, that was willing to come to South Africa to, to be on, on my team. And it dawned on me, you know, if I had been smart enough back then tuned into the international virtual post, 
I probably could have reached out to some folks and other former teammates and gotten some help because it was a huge struggle getting the right kind of talent, you know, to run an $18 billion job that we had going down there. So, so let me ask an, an extension of this, this, of this thought process. So posts, and as you pointed out, really field chapters become the coin of the realm overseas, like the two that you're standing up in, in the Middle East. So how can we, from a national office perspective, support you in the International Committee and support the efforts of our international field chapters and posts? Any, any thoughts about some of the things that we might be able to do? Now, the grant program is a start. Can you think of any other ways that we can help support your efforts? Yes, the grant program is certainly a start. I think it's just visibility, visibility, visibility. Okay. And, you know, one of the challenges we, we face in the virtual world is overwhelming amounts of information. I know SAME has that challenge, too, is it's another email in my inbox. It's another, another piece of mail. It's another website to go visit but by giving all those different opportunities we're probably making it more convenient for individuals for whichever medium they prefer now the other problem with that though is with oversaturation you become immune to it so it's how do we keep getting the word out to folks in the right medium with the right message that keeps their interest and retains them I know we've gotten some great publicity in TME and other places for the work that, or for the events that have been happening in, in Qatar and with Bahrain standing up in the coming weeks. Be another great opportunity to showcase those. If we get some traction from an Australian uh, chapter, that's another great way. And you know, the other thing it does is interesting. You said about it getting the talent to go to South Africa. There are a lot of great opportunities for overseas service on in the civilian side with both military and non-military projects, but military in particular, that sector is very strong overseas, both with the FMS programs of the U.S. government, but also through direct sales. A lot of the our overseas partners are looking to make sure their defenses are sound. And not just their defenses, their defense and security in that entire arena. And the one thing that overseas offers, in the Middle East in particular, is for mid-level engineers and leaders who can come over here, can pay off a student loan, can, if they don't have a student loan, they can build a nest egg for a house, a car, a round-the-world adventure, whatever it may be, but they'll get a chance over here to work at, at a much higher level of responsibility than they would in the U.S. So they're going to build the resume, they're going to be compensated fairly well, get that experience, and get an adventure, and then go back to, back to the United States. So a career-broadening experience, and I will tell you, Qatar is it's not a hardship tour. It's it's civilized here. It's safe. There's no reason not to come do that, something like that, as an adventure. So who are those folks we're looking at? We're looking at our young members. We're not looking to try to make military members leave the, leave the active duty, but we have a lot of reserve and guard members who might want to try to do something like this. And certainly our young members can, can do this. And frankly, you don't even have to leave a civilian organization, a private company you're already working for, as many of the larger companies have presence overseas. So I think part of the International Committee, and this is just a, a, it's not really a goal or a pillar, but something we can also help bring visibility to, is there's overseas opportunities for our younger members. If they're interested, we can assist them in taking advantage of them. Because we're coming full circle, we talked before about the value, the return on investment, why, why invest in SAME, and there's three big things that I think our individuals do get out of it. And one of them is networking. Finding a sponsor, a coach, a mentor, just somebody to talk to about how how they see it. And yeah, a, a 
age, it's kind of a new experience. And we all want to pass it on because all of us that have been successful have had somebody do it for us. SAME is a great place to have like-minded, professional people have the same have had the same experiences that you have, so they can help you navigate through the through the networking world. The other thing that the value that we do offer you is a professional development. That's kind of ties in with networking, as we were talking before about learning about your profession. But it's also about education. It's about credentials. It's about growth. You need to do that professionally. It's it's kind of it's part of your obligation as a professional, and, and that really ties to the last value that I, I see. Of, of the of SAMB, it is a society of choice. And I went to a very interesting chapter meeting in Qatar where it was a chief's panel. And one of the chiefs was asked, why should I join SAMB? The chief stopped him in a second and said, what professional organization do you belong to? He said, he goes, SAME has been very good to me. It's filled those niches, those things that I just talked about, the networking, the professional development. He said that you have an obligation as a professional to be a part of your profession. So you need to be a part of a society, and SAME for military members and military-oriented folks is a natural fit. So that's that's why I believe SAME is your society of choice. But as we'll talk to younger members, we'll say, hey, our younger military members, or even in the private sector affiliated with the military, I'll ask them that question now. So what, what organization do you belong to? And if you don't belong to one, I strongly suggest SAME because I think it can fill that niche for you. That's great. You know, I was going to ask you what drew you to the international community, but but clearly your your passion speaks for itself, which I think explains part and part why you're so effective in leading the international committee. But clearly the opportunities that exist internationally to to grow professionally and do all of the things that we espouse in the society are really enhanced overseas. And, and I know that from my own experience in the private sector overseas, not only financially, but boy, the, the level of responsibility point you made is key. I mean, you can take, in my opinion, the average level of responsibility of any individual at any level and multiply that many, many, many fold. And that's what you could expect, just as you pointed out, when you get there. So, so that's all great. I tell you, I really appreciate your time. And appreciate your leadership, appreciate everything that you're doing for the International Committee and for all the Americans who are deployed overseas. I want to give you the last word, but first I just want to say a huge big thanks, Blair, for everything that you've been doing, for the passion you're bringing to the International Committee, because I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm and energy really get started all over the place. I mean, you mentioned Australia, but it's also Korea coming back, the Middle East coming back, I attribute much of that to your leadership. So let me give you the last word and anything that, that you'd like to say or, or even any requests that we can support either you or our folks anywhere across the, the world. No, I, I appreciate the kind words. It is a passion. I've worked in the, oper- the international community for preponderance of my adult life to include the military and now in the private sector. I just enjoy the experience. I think it's a it's a great opportunity for others to get out get outside of their comfort zone a little bit, get outside of the continent of the United States and, and see how the rest of the world works because there's great things to learn all over the place. One of the, the great general officers I worked for at one time said he would go out of his way to steal a great idea and put it into, into effect. Well, go out, go out and look at the world because the, the, world, the world has great things to offer and bring them home and make, make America better.
Well, that's great. Well, Blair, again, keep me posted on anything that you need. Keep up the great work. And, uh, and again, thanks for taking the time today. So take care. God bless. And, and we'll see you around the world. Thanks, Joe. And thanks to the crew there for putting this together.